WDBM East Lansing. Bringing you sports from NBA to NHL to NFL and more. But more importantly, bringing you the full rundown on MSU Spartan Sports. We cover it all. Get us on the phone at 432-3893. And now, the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Welcome to the Spartan Sports Wrap here on 88.9 WDBM East Lansing. My name is Dave Harinku, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be your host as usual for the next hour. As always, my lovely co-host Megan to my left. Megan, how you doing today? I am doing fantastic, thanks. Fantastic, great. So you had a nice weekend? I did. It was a weekend full of sports, I will say that. I did my sideline reporting for high school on Friday night. I watched the football game Saturday night, and then I went golfing yesterday. So. Golfing? Nice. How'd yes. you golf? Ugh. It wasn't pretty, I will tell you that. We played 18. Once I got done with the first nine, I was, like, checked out. Yeah, I think when I uh, – I've only played golf a couple times ever, but I only did the front nine. I think I shot, like, an 80. So uh, that, that's, I did better than you. Yeah, I, 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 I'm god-awful at, at golf. I'm horrible at golf. But I never play golf, so I guess if I practice, I could be decent. But um, Probably. No, it's great to hear, though, that you had a nice weekend. I uh, hope all of our listeners out there had a nice weekend as well. Uh, gorgeous weather uh, for everyone this weekend. Weather warmed up just enough. It really had that crisp football uh, feel to it in the air. So, um, again, hope all of our listeners had a great weekend. Uh, a lot to, like, make you just said in sports i mean geez um back to back uh just football coma weekends really um just in front of the tv for hours it felt like right and then go outside and toss the football around for a little bit right and then go back inside and watch some more football but uh yeah we have a lot to get to on today's show uh for sure um we're definitely gonna be talking about michigan state um and their loss to notre dame here uh this weekend at south bend we're also be getting to a little bit obviously the detroit lions uh, absolutely destroying the kansas city chiefs at ford field for their first home game this season We'll also be talking about our Detroit Tigers clinching the division for the first time in 24 years on Friday night, um, something that was very uh, special to me. Uh, so we'll definitely be getting to that. We got a little uh, Mayweather Ortiz for you, some NASCAR as always. So we got a full jam-packed show. Don't forget the phone number, 517-432-3893 is the number. Call and I'll show about whatever you want, but try to make it sports-related, I guess. Uh, but we will start off with the Michigan State Spartans against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and this was a game that you know you see Notre Dame coming off two tough losses uh, to Michigan the prior week, losing in the final two seconds of the game, thirty-five to thirty-one was your final there. Also losing to South Florida the week before, you knew that Notre Dame had a big chip on their shoulder, and they were going to be playing with everything they had. Uh, this is a team that was going to do everything possible to not go down 0-3, and they didn't. Um, Notre Dame wins 31-13 um, quite handily in some ways, but really the score, in my opinion, um, leads you to believe this game did go a little bit differently. Michigan State had their opportunities. They caused turnovers. They had their chances, but when it came down to it, Notre Dame really pushed our offensive line around. We couldn't run the football, committed a lot of stupid penalties, and when it all comes down to it, it's a Michigan State loss. So the 15-ranked Spartans fall out of the top 25. Um, they are 26th uh, in the AP poll, uh, receiving 42 votes, but uh, they did just drop out of the top 25 with this loss. So before we really get into this game, I do want to ask all of our listeners out there, what was the most disappointing thing to you? about this performance this uh, this past Saturday. What was it? Because there's a lot of things you can really look at. It wasn't just one thing in this football game to say, oh, what a bad play call here. There were a number of things that Michigan State made mistakes on. So what was it to you that made Michigan State lose this football game? Phone number is 517-432-3893. Give us a call. And I'll start with you, Megan. I mean, you saw this game. What did you think of it? I mean, what stood out to you? 
what stood out. To what me. stood out, which well, was a lot of things. Yes, standing out. I mean a lot of a lot of bad things, if you ask me. Things that I thought we had under control, and then all of a sudden we play Notre Dame and we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I have three things actually that kind of I was disappointed in. Okay. Um, one of them was our running game. Yeah. Um, we had 29 yards rushing compared to 114 yards. Um, our running game has been fantastic the past few years, and now all of a sudden we play in Notre Dame and we just fall apart. Mm-hmm. Secondly, our defense, also non-existent. <laughs> they were just getting first down after first down after first down, but it wasn't just a first down. It'd be a first down plus 10 more yards after that. Uh-huh. We just could not tackle. That was that was really disappointing. And my third thing that we always, always, always complain about, and we didn't for the, the second game, the last game we played, penalties. 12 penalties for what, 80... Eighty-six yards. Eighty-six yards. And, Horrible. Yeah, and it was like false starts, just stupid little things that you know they shouldn't be doing. But those were the three main things that really stood out to me. Other than that, passing, Kirk Cousins did good. I think he threw one one interception. Yeah, he threw one pick, a uh, one touchdown as well. Uh, yeah. he threw for three hundred and twenty-nine yards. I mean, he threw the ball fifty-three times. So it kind of kind of shows you. I mean, yes, we were behind, so you really can't run the ball as much once you get down. Yeah. But nonetheless, they were really relying on his arm a lot of the game. Once that once that rushing attack, I mean, they averaged one point three yards per rush, mm-hmm. twenty-three attempts, and only twenty-nine yards. You know, I mean, a fourth grader might have some luck with some of those holes. Um, that just wasn't too good. Um, yeah, Le'Veon Bell, 27 rushing yards, 26 for Baker, but those are still on multiple carries, 10 carries for Baker, um, negative rushing yards. I mean, you also have to remember always with rushing yards, they're always going to count in the sacks that, you know, for Cousins. Yeah. So t- minus 20 immediately for that. So that is a minus 20. It, this, our running attack, really, in my opinion, it, it looked a lot like it has in other pivotal games that this Spartan team has played over the last couple years um you know you want to look at Alabama um Alabama obviously a much better team than Notre Dame trust me I'm not trying to compare those teams in any sense but in the Capital One Bowl this last January we had minus 48 rushing yards and I don't really care who you're playing minus 48 rushing yards is quite a joke um again it doesn't matter you want to also look at the Iowa game and I think we all can remember last year um at Knick Stadium um 31 yards rushing again in a major game against Iowa Um, you know there's been a number of times where Michigan State's run game has really been completely annihilated and you see the consistency of when they can't run the ball they lose games and it just seems to be the consistency of the Spartans when they can't get things going in the backfield you can only get so much done through the air I know it's a cliche thing but it's true you establish the run game to have the pass game I mean, it's just how football is done. And with running backs like Baker, Bell, Caper, um, you can even say Nick Hill at times, Keyshawn Martin for direct snaps, we have a lot of talented guys at that position. And Notre Dame's D-line made our offensive line look like a joke. Um, and that's why you can't blame just one one person or one thing for this whole loss. You can't. You really can't. Everyone wants to go after the offensive line, and don't get me wrong, the offense, offensive line was poor. They were very poor. They did not create really any running lanes for our running backs. Really, you know, you saw it. a lot of two-yard runs, one-yard runs. Three, they just There were no holes there. But at the same time, it's a team loss. Completely a team loss. The one thing that stood out to me when it comes to the Spartans and why they lost this game is that they were in the red zone Five times, okay, they converted twice. Um, You can't do that. They were beyond the 20-yard line multiple times. I think we all all remember this fake 
field goal that you saw there at the end of the second half, which personally, I think everyone from South Bend to East Lansing knew that was going to be a fake. Oh, yeah. I think everyone knew that was going to be a fake. And that's not just because of last year, and obviously that has something to do with it, but you could just smell it out. You could just really tell Notre Dame smelt it out, and they got it done. And I know we'd all be saying a different tune if Michigan State did convert that touchdown there to bring that game, you know, within four points. You know, that would have been nice, but at the same time, uh, within three points, excuse me, but at the same time, you should kick a field goal. You're on the road. Tough, a tough crowd, a tough matchup. You take the points. Um, I think you just do. It only puts you down eight then going into the half, and that's a lot better than being down 11. So, I mean, just, you know, the team in general, they outgain Notre Dame in yards. Oh, yeah. 358 yards to 275. We held the Irish passing game to just 161. Like you had mentioned, they got 114 on the ground as well, really being pushed around with, like you said, for pretty, pretty decent-sized runs at times. Michigan State's defense did a decent enough job, especially in the second half. They caused three turnovers. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, one pick, two fumbles. Um, they did a decent job, in my opinion, causing them turnovers. But you can't convert in the red zone. Another poor pass by Cousins, personally, at the end of the game. Yes, this game was close to being completely out of reach, but it wasn't yet. No. It was 28-13. If they punch it in right there, it's a one-possession game, and you still have enough timeouts and enough time on the clock to get that ball back to you and give yourself that chance to really make a, a, a great comeback. Um, and it was just it was a poor pass there. They were on the three-yard line, and just a bad pass. Blanton returns it for 82 yards there. And But they were, they were also saying that he didn't finish his route either, his running route. Uh-huh. He stopped. And that's okay. what Cousins was going for. Like if you if you watch, I watched the replay a couple of times. I can't remember what what receiver that was. Uh, I'm not sure. To be honest with you, I'm not sure. Yeah, either. and he had two he had a two guy two man coverage. So obviously he's pretty well covered. But on top of it, he did a right cut, came back toward the center, toward the middle of the field, and just stopped. And that's where if he wouldn't have stopped, he at least worst case scenario it would have been an incomplete pass. Yeah. And but the thing is, he stopped and Cousins threw it straight to Notre Dame. And then they just ran the ball. They just ran it back. Yeah, and that's that. That was like because at first I was like, "Oh, cousins, what are you thinking?" That was a horrible pass. And then they're like, "Wait, but look, look at the replay." And that's the thing is, he did stop in his path. He, he was supposed to keep going. No, I mean, I, I can definitely, I can definitely agree with that. Um, you know, again, I think State got lucky early in the game when you had a penalty, uh, have an interception for Notre Dame come back to us, uh, which really, thank God, because again, I mean, this game the whole time I had the feel of this Iowa game to me. Um, I don't know why it is. Whenever I get really jazzed up about a football game, I'm already. I'm sitting down. I'm. I'm just. I'm all ready to go. And it just. It always turns out to kind of be a game like this. Um, I don't know why, but it just seems like that. I mean, here's something really telling. You know, over the past four seasons, you know, not only have they lost to Alabama and Iowa, but to Wisconsin, Georgia, Penn State, and Ohio State, all when they rushed for less than 52 yards. And, you know, that is something that you will always get pushed around and beat up when you can't run the football. And like I said, when you got running backs like we do, uh, I don't think there's an excuse for having less than at least 100 yards of rushing, roughly. Uh, maybe 90, something like that, but there's no excuse. I was getting sick of Cousins', or Cousins I don't even know how to say that, Cousins' re- repetitive play when we were on offense. Uh-huh. He would get the ball, run back a couple yards, and then there would be a receiver like three yards ahead of him to the right or to the left throw it that way and then he'd get tackled on the outside like the outside and it was just the same thing over and over again and we're sitting here going it's not working anymore figure something out Mm -hmm. and they just kept doing it kept doing it and then we'd have to punt the ball 
And that, that was just driving me nuts. It's like we don't have anything else. They've shut us down in so many different places that they that we just have to resort to the same play, going to different sides, left, right, left, right, 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 left, left, however he decided to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was just driving me completely insane because I don't know. Like, I, I, I have a sports media class, and we're talking about it today. My teacher goes, do you think we went in cocky? I go, we're all like, honestly, yeah, we probably did go in a bit cocky. You know, we beat them with a fake field goal last year, and that was probably still in their head. And they're like, oh, Notre Dame, 0-2, you know, lost to Michigan. They're not that good, uh-huh. like that kind of thing. But I'm not even going to blame it all on that. I'm just going to say they shut us down in so many different places. Our running, obviously. Our, pa- our passing after a while because they started figuring out what we are going to do. So Cousins had to keep resorting to the same thing over and over again. And then, like you said, our defense did get a little bit better in the second half. Oh, yeah. But the first half, holy good Lord, did they run like crazy, like crazy people. And oh, they ran just, very well in the first half. Yeah, and, uh, was... you know, they ran well enough in the second half to really um, take a lot of time off the clock. Um, I think, you know, what you really need to look at in a game like this is how it's going to affect the team in the long run. You know, it's a loss, and that's okay. Um, No one wanted this team to lose, obviously, on Saturday, but, you know, you want to look at some of the positives out of this. A, it's early in the season, okay? You're only three games into the season. There's a lot of time to make up for this, a lot of time. You haven't started Big Ten play yet, so you're still, you know, at the same level as every other Big Ten team to win that Big Ten championship, okay? That's a positive take out of it. You know, number two, I think losing a game like this on the road can build a lot of maturity, hopefully, and it can really flush out really the weaknesses that this team has and D'Antonio knowing what to work on. Um, I think it's very important. I think you look at last year, I think this team, I mean, obviously they still would have been 11-1. and All I'm saying is that when you suffer a loss early, a tough road loss, you really can learn from that in, I think, a lot of beneficial ways. And when you saw us go into Iowa last year, I think that was, again, a Spartan team that was cocky, that was just thinking they were unbeatable. And, you know, they got shown up. And, they, you know, all their you know weaknesses were shown through. People forget as well that Notre Dame is way better than an 0-2 football team. Okay, if anyone thinks that Notre Dame is some unranked team, they're not. Okay, they were at this time of the, for this game, but they were ranked one, one above us before the season started at 16, and we were at 17. They lost to a tough game to South Florida, 23-20 to again, and they completely imploded and handed a game over to Michigan, a game Michigan never deserved to win. Okay, mm-hmm. Notre Dame really should have been 2-0 and going into this Spartan game. They should have been ranked, and this should not have been as bad of a loss for Michigan State because Notre Dame is way better than their record said. And, okay, and the pollsters, I think, kind of at least somewhat see that because we are 26th. Notre Dame has a lot of talent, and that's why I'm not as upset to lose this football game because Notre Dame, in my opinion, is a good football team. And I'm just I mean, that's why I wanted them to beat Michigan so bad because it's important. They had such a chip on their shoulder. They were going to do anything to not lose this game, especially at home. You know, it's an, such an important game, obviously, for both schools, but it meant more to Notre Dame, hands down. And, you know, Michigan State, uh, at least they can take away – um, at least something in the sense B.J. Cunningham having another great game, 12 passes for 158 yards. Obviously, their O-line is something that really needs to be checked out, and we'll get to uh, one big uh, loss, actually, on our O-line coming up here in a moment. But I do want to ask all of our listeners, you know, what do you look forward to this team? You know, a lot of people I've spoken with have said 10-2, and 11-1, and and sometimes I think that is a little bit uh, Spartan slappy, even to a degree. I think that we have a very tough schedule, and I think that this team has more talent than last season. But with the tough schedule, it's going to be very tough for this team to recreate that type of magic that they had last season. But what do you go? What do you take from looking forward to this Spartan team? Okay, they have Central next week. 
All right, this is a team that did beat us in 9 in a very flukish type of game, 29-27, but they don't have Dan LaFever anymore, and they just got absolutely abused by Western Michigan this weekend. So, I mean, this the, the line on the game, Mamashu was favored by 23.5 points. So what do you take away for this team going forward? 517-432-3893. Yeah, I think a rule in football, a rule in any sport, you never get too high with your wins, and you never, never get too low with your losses. And that's very important to any program, any team. Because when you don't have that, then you can really lose your mental edge. And, you know, good luck when you get into the heart of the Big Ten schedule. But with Central next weekend, obviously you think this should probably be a game where D'Antonio really mixes things up mm-hmm. and really tries to settle things down here for our team? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Central is that one game. I, I think after a tough loss against Notre Dame, everyone, you know, we're all saying he's, they're going to win, they're going to win. A tough loss against Notre Dame, a decent team. That shouldn't have lost to Michigan, like you said. Um, I think Central's a good rebound team, to be honest. It, it, like you said, it gives them something. It gives the Antonio kind of the leeway to mix things up. Yep. To figure out exactly. where he should, what people he could put in what places. Maybe he just didn't have everything right. Like I think you said last week, our O line was set. It was finally set, yeah. and a lot of these are young kids that haven't played a lot. Yeah, exactly. And maybe, maybe he they, this this will be a good week and a good game with practices and this game to figure out maybe that wasn't right. No, I definitely agree. I think Central, as much of it as just like Florida Atlantic was, was a way to mess around and see who works. Give guys extra time, give guys extra reps. I, I guarantee you, uh, you know, uh, Kirk Cousins will not be playing this entire game. I want no. Maxwell getting reps in there. I want Nick Hill in there running the ball some more. Um, and I want our offensive line being tweaked as much as possible. Um, I think this is a great quote from D'Antonio because um, I don't think, again, you can ever put blame on one specific thing usually in a game. And here's a quote. He says, quote, Obviously our offensive line is a bit of a concern because we are relatively young there. We can't have the penalties that occurred in the fourth quarter. And we can't have those things happening for us. And we've got to get a push and run the football. But whether it's the offensive line or whether it's the tight ends or whether it's the fullback, all these things enter into running the football. The same with pass protection. It's a running back potentially that has the problem with pass protection or it's a tight end or it's a route problem or it's a coverage or it's whatever or it could be the quarterback. So it's all plays together and there's no one group of people that's saying, okay, they can't run the ball, so it's the offensive line. That's not how it really works, end quote. And D'Antonio is right. It's not just one thing. Offensive line does have a problem. But trust me, there's a lot of times when fullbacks and tight ends aren't picking up their blocks and aren't doing their job to make the holes for our running backs as well. You can't put it on five guys there on the line. There's stuff to need to be working on. But at the same time, Cousins still did look pretty sharp out there to a large degree, completing 34 or 52 passes. I don't want him throwing the ball that often. Trust me. Uh, that's just too much. It shows you have no running game during that game or you're playing from behind. Again, Cunningham looking fantastic. I think... Cousins needs to work to the ball other than Cunningham because if Cunningham becomes your lone guy, 158 yards is great, 12 catches. That means you're not going towards a lot of other guys. Um, I know Lithicum had a decent catch in some of those guys, but defenses will find out how to lock down Cunningham easily if the, he becomes your main focus. It was just like when Calvin Johnson never had anyone on you know the right side for him. It's easy to double him every time. And if Cunningham's doubled, Cunningham's not as tall. He's not as big. He's not as fast as uh, Calvin Johnson, of course. So uh, you're going to have to make sure that they can spread the ball around and make other threats out there You know, really an issue for defenses. 
But uh, real fast, like I was telling you, uh, some uh, bad news regarding one of our um, offensive tackles. Um, uh, today, uh, Michigan State announced that redshirt freshman Skylar Berklin, uh, who was carted out of the field here in the second quarter of Saturday's game, will miss the rest of the season with a fracture and dislocation of his left ankle. Um, uh, D'Antonio said, quote, today on Paul W. Smith's show on WJR 760, that, quote, he is out for the season. He's got a broken bone, a broken bone near his ankle. So that's unfortunate because he has such a huge upside as a young player. Um, again, Berkeley played offensive tackle, um, and he just got his leg rolled around uh, pretty bad. Um, he has been replaced with a transfer Fufanoti. Um, he came in there and played uh, pretty decent, I guess, um, from what had Coach D'Antonio has said. And it looks like they're also going to move defensive tackle Makaisha Reynolds and move back to the offense. Um, he has been back and forth, I guess, between the defense and the offense, but they are going to need him back on the offensive line. So hopefully, um, you know, we got a week to prepare for this. Again, it's going to be Central Michigan. This is not going to be a game reminiscent of two years ago. So I think it's a game, again, for the Spartans to really figure their stuff out and go forward from here. And, uh, you know, 23 and a half points. Do you think we covered the spread, Megan? <laughs> oh, 23 and a half. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's tough. 23 and a half points is a tough spread to cover in any sport. But um, I don't know. I'll give it to the Spartans. <laughs> I guess I will. I mean, Central doesn't have anyone these days. No, they. everyone was so excited about that Western Central game, and then I kept looking at updates on my phone, and I'm like, oh, they're getting shut out. Okay. <laughs> oh, they're getting abused. Yeah, pretty much, so... But uh, looking around, though, in the other and, uh, you know, still in college football for the AP Top 25, uh, um, a few things changed, but nothing that dramatic. Oklahoma remains number one after defeating Florida State in a very good game. LSU is your number two. Alabama, three. Boise State, four. Stanford, five. Um, Looking at the Big Ten, Wisconsin is actually sixth now. So they are right up there. Uh, They're 3-0. Uh, also, Nebraska is number nine after beating Washington this weekend, and Oregon is ten. You got Texas A&M eight, Oklahoma State seven, um, Michigan our uh, brethren to the east. Um, they're twenty second uh, after beating the Eagles, which great win uh, against Eastern Michigan. Uh, but Michigan is three and zero, and they are ranked twenty second. And uh, before. You know, the Michigan Slappies all start getting crazy because they're ranked and we're not and blah, blah, blah. Wait till Big Ten play starts. <laughs> That's all I want to say. Wait till Big Ten play starts. Uh, Michigan, I pretty much can guarantee you will be 5-0 and by the time Big Ten play uh, kicks off here. Um, no, and actually, I mean 5-0 and with beating Minnesota because they only have one more game until Big Ten play kicks off. But uh, Michigan, always a cupcake schedule to kick it off, like a lot of these teams. Uh, Michigan will be playing San Diego State, though, uh, this upcoming weekend. Uh, they will be playing at home again. Um, again, this is Brady Hoke's uh, last team. He took uh, San Diego State to its first bowl game in 12 years last year. So it will be interesting to see that rematch there. Uh, the Aztecs and the Wolverines. Again, Michigan State will be playing Central Michigan and we are 4-3 and three against them in our career record. Um, Nebraska will be taking uh, taking on Wyoming at Wyoming, so give a win to Nebraska. And uh, Ohio State uh, actually also falling out of the top 25, losing to uh, Miami this past weekend, and a lot of people want to say the ineligible bowl, uh, which is, I guess, kind of funny. you got two uh, cheater, cheater-type schools. But, uh, yes, Ohio State will be taking on Colorado, which I think actually should be a pretty darn good game. And to kick off Big Ten play, Michigan State will be taking on 
at Ohio State October 1st. Big game. Um, and I say big game as well because they will be getting a lot of their guys back. Dan Heron, DeVree Posey, um, Adams, Thomas, their uh, defensive guys. They're getting some guys back, uh, most of their guys back. So everyone's still trying to count Ohio State out because they barely they struggle with Toledo. Miami's a solid team at Miami. Don't count Ohio State out ever. Ever. Okay, they're getting a lot of their guys back. Trust me, Ohio State will be someone to be reckoned with. Okay, but uh, we are going to take a quick break here on the Spartan Sports Wrap. Uh, when we get back, think about it. The Lions, 2-0. and Who would have thought it, right? I think a lot of people, actually. But how does this team look going forward after destroying the Chiefs? We're also going to be talking about our Detroit Tigers clinching the division. Nine games left in the season. Can this team actually win out and, I mean, have the best record in the American League? They have a chance at that. You are listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap on 88.9 WDBM East Lansing. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. Welcome back to the Spartan Sports Wrap, ladies and gentlemen. This is 88.9 WDBM East Lansing. Lot to talk about still, about a half hour left. Dave and Megan here with you. And we're going to be talking about our Lions. And it looks like they are restoring the roar in uh, so many words. The Lions now 2-0 and after defeating the Kansas City Chiefs this last Sunday at Ford Field. 48-3, to in which was an absolute rout of the Chiefs. This is the largest victory the Lions have ever had in the history of the franchise. Um, again, this was um, against the depleted Chiefs team in a sense after Jamal Charles, their star running back, went down in the fourth quarter. Um, he looks to be out for the entire season with a teared ACL, um, torn ACL, excuse me. So uh, they will be checking that out, um, but he most likely will need surgery and be out for the season. But the Lions looked great. Pretty much every facet uh, you want to look at, uh, we'll get to any of the negative things here in a minute, but overall, really, um, the Lions absolutely decimating the Chiefs, putting up a total of 411 yards to 267. Uh, Matt Stafford throwing for 294 yards, four touchdowns, one interception, threw 29 for 39, passer rating of 106. He looked fantastic out there, and we even had enough time to throw Sean, in, Sean Hill in there mm-hmm. for a uh, pass. So uh, the Lions looked great, made Matt Castle just an error machine, three interceptions. Um, we t- forced a total of six turnovers, six turnovers by KC. That's three picks, three fumbles. Um, the Lions defense absolutely looking dominant, um, looking absolutely dominant, really, in this victory over the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, so, Megan, looking at this game, I mean, the Lions are 2-0 and right now. 
you know, really even penalty yards, four penalties for 35 yards. They did a good job. Um, the only thing you could really say, uh, kind of, you know, again, rushing, maybe gave up a little too much rushing and couldn't run the ball too effectively. But overall, what do you think of the Lions this weekend? They looked good. I mean, I turned it on when the fight, quote-unquote, started or whatever with the ripped jersey, even though they got penalized twice and we didn't get penalized at all. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, they, they looked really good. The one thing that kind of startled me is Kansas City had five penalties before Detroit even had one. Kansas City was shooting them. They were shooting themselves in the foot all yeah. game with personal fouls, roughing the roughing the punter, roughing the kicker. I mean, roughing the passer. passer. Mm-hmm. Um, personal fouls. It's it's almost like they just didn't even want to show. You know, they just got. They were so embarrassed so fast by halftime that before you knew it, they would just put their heads in the sand and wanted the game to be over. I know, but they, they did. They looked real good. Um, passing fantastic. Matt Stafford, yeah, Matt Stafford out there. He's doing doing work. I can say that. And Calvin Johnson, all those people doing doing great. And like you said, the only thing was the rushing, but they had a total of 411 yards compared to 267. So, accomplishment in itself, yeah. Do you ever think the Detroit t- or the Detroit Lions would win like forty something to three? No, ever. Not really. <laughs> Last one I remember it was like a forty-two to six victory against the Broncos, and that took place back in uh, I think it was oh yeah two thousand seven when this team started six and two, and then they went one and seven the rest of the way. But this is a different group of guys mm-hmm. um, here with this team. Um, I do want to ask our listeners. Just overall, what you thought of this game and what you think, you know, again, for we're at Minnesota next weekend, um, you know, a division rival, um, you know, never an easy game. Um, what do you think of the Lions at this point? 517-432-3893. You know, what would you praise and what would you work on? And again, um, I think you can say it a lot. I hate comparing anything like college to NFL, but if you want to look at at least our two teams here in football in this state that at least we really care about, it was, again, rushing. I mean, they rushed for 89 yards, but you gave up 151 yards, and that's even with Jamal Charles being out of the game ever since the first quarter. Um, Dexter McCluster, no no slouch there at running back, but uh, giving up too many yards on the ground, and you kind of wonder about that for next week. Adrian Peterson, who he'll get his numbers seeming like no matter who he plays against, um, 122 yards. Yards, two touchdowns, um, and you know, actually ha- having a great game against Tampa Bay last week, um, doing a great job rushing the ball. You know, it is something you do worry about. Um, you know, we have such so many threats when it comes to the air. When it comes to wide receivers, um, you know, it's not even fair um, with Titus Young, Nate Burleson, Calvin Johnson, Tony Scheffler at tight end, Brandon Pettigrew, um, you know, Javid Best even still. You know, this team is stacked when it comes to receivers, slot guys, tight ends. But when it comes to rushing the ball, you still worry about that to a degree. Uh, Jerome Harrison came in, um, didn't really do too much at all. Um, You know, you really want to look at leading rushers for the – for the Lions, Javid Best, 57 yards on 16 carries, not too bad. But other than that, Keelan Williams, 25 rushing yards. Harrison had six, um, just really not a lot of rushing. And I guess, I mean, they were trying to attack him through the air a lot of the time. And I think Javid Best personally had a fantastic game, not only on the ground, really, but through the air. 66 uh, receiving yards on only six receptions and really looking explosive as usual out there. But, uh, you know, looking ahead, um, you know, Megan, for this team, they are going to be playing the Minnesota Vikings here coming up quite soon. Um, that will be this Sunday against the Vikings. Now, the thing with the Vikings is the Lions are 3-17 and against the Vikings in their last 20 games. They've lost 13 straight on the road um, since 1997, where they beat them 14-13 in a victory. So the Lions are actually three-and-a-half-point favorites 
going into Minnesota. Do the Lions have what it takes to go three and zero here with a tough a tough team in Minnesota? Um, you know they they blew a big lead this weekend against Tampa Bay, but they were up seventeen to nothing at one point in this game. Uh, they did have a heartbreaker of a loss, twenty four to twenty. Not definitely on Adrian Peterson or Donovan McNabb's shoulders. Both of them having great games. You think the Lions can get the best of these guys? I th- I think so. Or will they? Not can they? Will they? Because of course they? they can, but will they? Mm, I mean. It's tough, you know, like you said, they haven't won on the road against them since 1997. This is a whole nother team this year, like you said. Yep. They're showing sparks, more than sparks, flame fires, I don't even know, of good things coming from the team. And I will they? Mm, they're the Lions, I'll say that's the very least. Um, will they? I think, yeah. I think they can do it. Well, they will do it. And it's more than possible. I think for them, they just their their game this weekend. Even though they're saying, you know, one of the best players from Kansas City got hurt in the first quarter and mm-hmm. blah blah blah, you know, turning point. And even if that happened, I still think they would have beat Kansas City, and I think they can beat Minnesota. Okay, great. Um, yeah, our listeners, do you guys think we'll beat Minnesota as well? Five one seven four three two thirty eight ninety three is the phone number. Want to hear what you guys' opinions are on that? But uh, looking at this game against Minnesota, um, I do believe we will win this game as well. I think this is a different team. And, you know, the Lions did impress me in week one. I was more impressed in week one than I actually was this previous week against, really, in my opinion, a depleted KC team, uh, Kansas City team that is not the KC of last year. People forget that this team lost their final four games of the regular season. They still made the playoffs at 10-6, and six, but they have lost six straight now and have only scored 10 points in their last two games. So, I mean, this was a Kansas City team that really had a lot of problems coming into this game. Against Tampa Bay, the Lions looked a lot better, um, just in the sense of playing a better team and playing them on the road. And that's why I will go with the Lions to win this game. To, uh, you know, win a game on the road to start your season off against Tampa Bay was very impressive in a lot of different ways. And I think that will translate against the Vikings. They will need to be able to run the ball more efficiently, but they have kept their penalties down to a large degree, cutting them basically more than in half from what they had the week before. And when was the last time the Lions were favored in a road game? Never. Like, went never. <laughs> never. I mean, I don't know. 1999? Maybe, maybe when Barry Sanders was on the team? When the, 1999 when they made the playoffs last? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> uh, but the Lions have never favored on the road. Um, and, you know, three and a half points, that's fair. That's exactly what it should be for a road game. And, again, no one, no one overestimate the team of the Minnesota Vikings because Donovan McNabb is a veteran out there. Yeah, he had a pathetic week one, tossing only 39 yards, but he looked good in week two, and Adrian Peterson looked good. Um, The defense for the Minnesota Vikings is really what got the best of them. And, uh, you know, LeGarrette Blunt had a good running day on them, and their secondary just could not cover the you know the passers Aurelius Ben um they just couldn't get it done and Josh Freeman really showed his clutchness like usual um there in the fourth quarter um now fourth four four fourth quarter comebacks for Josh Freeman uh but I think one of the things that you really need to kind of look at when you look at the Lions is just the chance of this team not only having success this season but success for years to come this team is very very young it's an extremely young team. I did not even know this myself. I had to look it up. But nine of the 22 players who started this Sunday are 25 or younger. Five of those other starters are 26. So 14 of the 22 players that started Sunday are 26 or younger. Hmm. And that's that's very impressive. Mm-hmm. Stafford's only 23. Javid Best is 23. Calvin Johnson's 25. Okay, Titus Young is 22. I Obviously, we just drafted him. He is young. Nick Fairley, young. Indamakasu, 24. 
Cliff Averill, 25 on the front four. DeAndre Levy, 24. Justin Durant, he'll turn 26 here soon. But we have a very young team. Dalmas, Spivy, both 24. You know, six of the 11 defensive starters are under 25. So, I mean, we have an extremely young team, and I think that only bodes well for the future. And, you know, Marty Mayhew has done an incredible job out there in Detroit. Um, we finally have gotten over this Matt Millen era of just anemic offense and terrible defense. And, you know, this team, I think, is finally stepping forward. Um, they, are, they are only 2-0. and Okay, two and zero. I mean, it's all they, that's all they've played. So again, let's not get crazy about them. But I think the Lions are really working in the right direction here. Um, and if they can win at Minnesota, this team has a this team has the potential to start off four or five and zero, in my opinion. If they can they can carry that victory over from Minnesota, they'll be at Dallas um, the week after that. And Tony Romo, even though he did lead a comeback there against the San Francisco 49ers with the cracked rib. He will still have a cracked rib um, in two weeks, so he will not be fully healthy. And then after that, the game I think we're all excited for, Monday Night Football here at Ford Field against the Chicago Bears. Woo-hoo. I mean, i got to be excited for that. I'm excited for that. Yeah, I couldn't get tickets for the life of me if I wanted tickets. <laughs> it just was not going to happen. Another shout-out to a great line, Jason Hansen, who's practically played for the team as old as I am. Um, he It was his 297th game here with the Detroit Lions, uh, more than anybody has ever played with one team. Um, he kicked his 46th field goal, uh, 50-plus yards, made a tackle on the kick coverage. Um, great job. Jason Hansen, a beloved line here in this town, um, all-time leading scorer for so many years here with the Detroit Lions. Um, he's an amazing guy. He did deal with injury last year. But I just got to give a shout-out to my boy Jason Hansen because if there's anyone you could have ever counted on over the last 20 NFL seasons with Detroit, it's Jason Hansen. So it's nice to see Jason Hansen still having a leg, even at his old age. I mean, old just guys at that age don't really maintain that foot to the ages of their 40s. And he's done a great job with that. So congratulations um, to just, you know, Jason Hansen for doing what he does best. Um, National Media, article out of the Debt News, um, is really praising uh, our Lions, which is too, uh, it's not too often you hear praise for the Lions. But um, Peter King, who's uh, Sports Illustrated's uh, lead writer, says, quote, the Lions are a threat as long as Matthew Stafford stays upright. They suffocated the su- suddenly pathetic Chiefs Sunday at Ford Field, raising hopes of an awakened fan base. I'm dreaming of a Lion Christmas. You never know. End quote. So, um, we'll see. And he also says, quote, no other team in the NFL is close to the Lions' plus 52-point differential. And, yes, the earth is off its axis, end quote. So, um, just looking at, they had a poll on uh, USA Today um, regarding uh, the Lions, Bills, or Texans, teams with the longest playoff droughts, that who will make the playoffs after two weeks. And the Lions have garnered 58% of that vote. The Texans got 30%, and the Bills with 11%. So a lot of people are saying, you know, changing of the guard Oh yeah. in so many respects. But again, if you guys want to call and comment about the Lions, all for it, 517-432-3893. But we are going to move on to the Detroit Tigers. Now, this is a team who's actually already earned something, okay? Mm-hmm. They did something that they hadn't done in 24 years, okay? I was a year old the last time this team Won the division. But they did it Friday with champagne flowing and cigar smoke billowing out of that dug out of that clubhouse. And it was great to see. Um, it was an exciting, um, very exciting game there on Friday night. Doug Fister on the mound. Doug Fister doing what he has done best, be a killer against any team he pitches. He went eight innings, only gave up three hits, one earned run, zero walks, five strikeouts. Fantastic job for Doug Fister. Tigers getting the victory Friday night, 
three to one to clinch the division. Jose Valverde getting his 45th save just to cap it off with a little Papa Grande dance. Um, you know, it was great to see. Um, again, uh, I I can't tell you. I mean, this to me is way more impressive, way more exciting, way more important than the Lions or the Spartans at this point. I'm sorry, but I I'm into football. But I am not going to be as in the football until baseball's done. The Tigers are in the playoffs, ladies and gentlemen. Hasn't happened since 2006, and I wasn't alive before that. So this is the this matters the most to me. They you know they'd won 13 of their last 14 games at that time when they had clinched the division here on Friday. Um, you're just absolutely looking great as a ball club, winning not scoring a lot but still winning, or putting up 14 runs and still winning. Looking back on their final week here, last Monday they won 14-4 to at Chicago with Porcello getting his 14th victory. And on Tuesday they won 5 to nothing. Verlander getting his 23rd win at the time. And on Wednesday 6-5 to was your final in 10 innings. Again, sweeping the Chicago White Sox, which was the fourth consecutive sweep of a divisional opponent in a row that we had just played. Then they had traveled out to Oakland to face the Athletics and lost on Thursday 6-1. to Scherzer getting the loss, snapping the 12-game win streak. But on Friday, as I had said, clinching the division, 3-1 to was your final. Doug Fister doing what he does best, and that means pitching better than I think anyone thought he was going to pitch when he came to Detroit. I knew he'd be good. I didn't think he'd be this good. Saturday, uh, unfortunately, the Lions were a little hungover from their celebration Friday night. It doesn't matter, though. They, they, they earned it. 5-3 uh, is your loss on Saturday. Porcello gets the loss. But then, just to bring our spirits right back to where they belong, Justin Verlander getting his 24th victory in a game shutout win. 3 to nothing was your final there. Justin Verlander looking fantastic, goes, going eight innings, giving up three hits, zero earned runs, six strikeouts, three walks. Absolutely Incredible 12 consecutive starts for wins. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Uh, real fast, I do want to ask our listeners right now, what do you think of the AL MVP race? Okay, because this is really a point of discussion at this time. 24 wins for Justin Verlander. About nine games left in the season. One start left for Verlander. He'll be going on Saturday against Baltimore. He'll be facing Guthrie. He has a chance to get to 25-5, and five, and he leads the American League and wins innings pitched, strikeouts, ERA, whip, win percentage. He's only third in complete games, and let's just toss that one right out of the books because it doesn't matter in today's game of baseball. Okay, Who deserves the AL MVP award? Okay, 517-432-3893. Because it's really only down to a certain amount of, uh, of players at this time. Adrian Gonzalez, uh, you can look at him, Curtis Granderson. Um, Jose Batista, um, you know, there's really not too many other guys out there. Um, even uh, you could even throw Miguel Cabrera's name in there. Um, you know, if he can, you know, continue to bat the way he is, more likely he's going for a batting title rather than an MVP. But you know, Megan, looking at the guys that really are on the the table right now to win this award. Again, you know, I mean, we're really looking at only a certain amount of guys. Gonzalez really a number one. Michael Young for Texas also in the mix as well. Um, you could even throw Robinson Cano in there, certain guys. But does Justin Verlander, with the season he has had, um, potentially winning 25 games here on Saturday, um, just having an incredible year, does he deserve the MVP award over an everyday player? Uh, that's such it's a, a bad... it's a tough question. That's why I want to talk about this more than just a division clinch because this is a point of argument that I think is going to really come down to the wire. It's so so controversial. I remember um, watching actually a game that Verlander had just no. I think they were interviewing him when they were on ESPN one time, 
And they're like, so what do you think about you up for the MVP? And he goes, last I knew, pitchers were players too. And he goes, even though we don't play every day, we're still out there. We are pretty much the main part of the game. We do most of like, the movement, you know, the throwing, the pitching. You have to, like, you, you either strike out the batter, you walk the batter, or, you, or they get a hit, you know. He's, that's what he said. He said, the last I knew, pitchers are players, too. And, you know, it's so it's so debatable. And I, I Justin Verlander deserves everything he can possibly get, I think. <laughs> Honestly, with the season he's had, 24 wins, going for his 25th, like you said, Saturday. Obviously, Granderson, everyone regrets getting rid of him because he is just phenomenal this year. And, um... I don't know. Like it's hard. I I would say I'd like him to win, but the fact of it could be it should be an every, everyday player. I agree with that too, because that person's out there every single day, every doing whatever you know that kind of thing. But also the games that the pitchers play, they're out there working their butts off mm-hmm. to win the game. So I I, I honestly want to like give you someone that I think it would be, but it's just like that's been brought to my attention, especially since I think we have two pitchers maybe in there right now. I don't know. I mean, we have you know. I mean, play not. I mean, for pitchers, there's no other pitcher really having a chance oh, yeah. here at the you know at the. I mean, Verlander's got the Cy Young locked up. Oh, yeah. that's no matter what. He's got Cy Young locked up. I mean, you want to look around at overall pitching numbers again. Lowest ERA at a two two nine. The closest to him is uh, Weaver for the Angels two four one. Again, he's got over. Let's see, he's got more than uh, he's got seventeen more innings pitched than Weaver. Um, just overall, his WHIP is lower point nine one to a one point zero two for Weaver. Um, leading in everything, uh, you know, completely everything. There strikeouts. I mean, he has 54 more strikeouts than Weaver, so that's a lock. Um, it's really about this MVP um, voting. You know, you're going to have 28 writers vote for this, and you will get the results in November. So it will basically be, you know, pretty much around right when the World Series ends, right around the World Series starts. Um, it's going to be roughly right around there. Pretty much right when it ends is usually when they do these awards. But, I mean, 25 wins. I mean, it's something that has not been done in a long time. Um, the last time, actually, a, a pitcher won the Cy Young and won the MVP was Dennis Eckersley, and that was in 1992 with the Oakland Athletics. And then you want to look at an everyday starter. No one has done that since Roger Clemens. Or not everyday starter, excuse me, but a starting pitcher. No one has done that since Roger Clemens in 1986. So it's been a long time since we've seen a guy like Justin Verlander have such a dominant, dominant year. Not just kind of dominant, absolutely dominant. He hasn't even cooled down. He just keeps going, keeps on trucking. You don't see pitchers like that. A lot of the times they have, that was really weird, a lot of the times they have up and down, kind of like a roller coaster season. Mm-hmm. But Verlander is just going. He's just not stopping, and that's awesome. No, he's not. And, I mean, here's an interesting uh, poll. Um, Sports Nation, uh, ESPN, they did a poll. So who gets your vote for AL MVP? Um, 70,000-plus people had voted for it by 9 p.m. yesterday. Now, this is something interesting. I did not know this, but 42% actually selected Verlander. Hmm. Um, uh, and they, he won every state but seven of those states. Wow. And, and those seven states obviously came from the East Coast, <laughs> where the Yankees and the Red Sox oh, want yeah. their guys, and anyone who's just a fan of those teams around there. Um, in Michigan, 92% of the voters selected Justin Verlander. And then looking, who were those? 8%. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's probably someone from New York. But um, number two in the voting was Red Sox first baseman Adrian Gonzalez. Um, he came in second with 22% of the vote and carried only four states. And Curtis Granderson was third with 17% of the vote, carrying three states. And then Jose Bautista rounds it out with fourth, 13%, carrying no states. 
Um, they didn't break down Canada, it says in the article, but that's, that doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, it says no AL, AL starting pitchers ever even received a first-place MVP vote since 2006 when Johan Santana did it uh, with the Twins, and he got one vote. But my personal opinion, Justin Verlander wins 25. He wins on Saturday and does what he's done in almost every start, give up one earned run, give up two earned runs, go seven, eight innings, just make those stats even look that much better. Personally, I be- I think he deserves it, and I think I think he will win it. Um, okay. I really do. I, I really do because I don't think – I mean, yeah, there's no clear-cut winner, in my opinion, for MVP, and I think that's why Justin has the shot to win it this year because you look at Adrian Gonzalez's numbers. You even want to look at Granderson's numbers. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things you can check out there, but really when it comes down to it, they none of them have had a great season. They've had really good seasons. But you look at okay, Curtis Granderson, yeah, he's got great numbers. But I mean look at Granderson, what's he, he betting like two sixty five? I'm sorry. You can't be betting two sixty five in my book and win the MVP award. I don't care how many home runs you can have or how many RBIs you have. You can't bet two sixty five. And even Gonzalez, Adrian Gonzalez, he's betting three thirty four. And you know, you know, that's very solid. But again, his power isn't as much there. Twenty six home runs, hundred and thirteen RBIs, which is very, very good. But Cabrera's practically there himself with 26 home runs and 97 RBIs. So I just think that no one's had a clear-cut blow-over year of just dominance like Josh Hamilton did last year mm-hmm. or Miguel Cabrera. who was. We were only talking about two people, and right now we just don't know. And right. that's why I think Justin Verlander going 25-5, and five, having a below 2.3 ERA, um, you know, most strikeouts, leading everything in the AL. And not only that, the most important thing to me when it comes to AL MVP voting is who is the most important to their team. Who has given the most to their team? You take Granderson away from the Yankees, they're still going to make the playoffs. They're still going to be good enough. They have enough guys. You take Gonzalez away, you still got Ortiz, you still have Ellsbury, you still have Pedroia, you still have a lot of great guys. I think if you remove Justin Verlander from the Detroit Tigers, they easily might not make the playoffs easily is that he is that important to his team and to have such a dominant stretch run i think the voters can't overlook it i i hope he wins i think he deserves to win i think personally he does need to get to 25 wins i've talked about this before it's weird but in voters minds 25 seems a whole heck of a lot more than 24 and it makes no sense it's one more win but trust me we are human beings and it's little things that really sway people in their voting at times Mm -hmm. But uh, real fast, we're going to get off that. Again, if anyone has any comments, you can still call in at 517-432-3893. But I wanted you to give all the listeners just a little something going on here with uh, NASCAR, and I'll come back to the Tigers and just finish up a little with them. All right. Well, for all you NASCAR lovers out there, I'm sure you know this, but the race was actually supposed to be yesterday, and it got rained out. And it's in Chicago. Obviously, we, ha- we haven't had the greatest weather lately. So no, That's two weekends in a row it's gotten rained out, isn't it? I know. It? Chicago, Chicagoland Speedway, Geico 400. Um, this is actually the chase, to let everyone know. This is the race for the chase or whatever. And Tony Stewart won. And for all you people out there who remember when Dale Earnhardt Jr. was supposed to win and ran out of gas in the last lap, well, this was no different. You know, it's the first the first race of the chase. Everyone wants to win the first race. So everyone didn't conserve their gas, and I think four people ran out of gas, if four? I remember correctly. That's terrible. Um, we had Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, Matt Kenseth, and Jeff Gordon all ran out of gas. Um, Jeff actually ended up finishing 11th. Um, yeah, or no, yeah, 11th. Um, so it was Kevin Harvick, Tony Stewart, Carl Edwards, Kurt Busch, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. are the five that won. Um, Tony Stewart, actually, he has not won a race in 32 
races. Yeah, so. I, I knew it felt like a while since I'd seen yeah. Tony Stewart actually win one. Yep, and so, I mean, I, I, I was reading this article, and he's saying he's, like, one one race isn't going to change the whole year, so he's actually counting himself out of the chase. Oh, really? And so everyone's like, are you kidding? Like, every, they were talking to all these people, they're like, why are they doing this? Why is he doing this? But, no, yeah, so it came down to, to fuel, and I'm just going to give you guys a quick rundown about um, top 10 standings for the chase right now. Um, Tony Stewart, even though he did win, he's still seven points behind Kevin Harvick. So Kevin Harvick's in first, Tony Stewart second, Carl Edwards third, Kurt Busch fourth, Dale Earnhardt Jr. fifth, Ryan Newman sixth, Brad Keselowski seventh, Jimmy Johnson eighth, Kyle Busch ninth, and Matt Kenseth is tenth. And then right on the board right there, we have Jeff Gordon. Jeff So Gordon. the top ten is the chase for the Sprint Cup cutoff, and then there's two wild cards, Jeff Gordon's 11th. So that's that's pretty much the breakdown. I mean, I got rained out. Everybody ran out of fuel in the last lap. Tony Stewart won. Next week we have Loudon um, for uh, ugh, I can't even think right now for the uh, Sylvania 300, and we're down to the last nine races of the season. So Jeez. yeah, I know it's getting there. It's getting there. So that's that's your breakdown. That's your NASCAR breakdown. There it is. There's NASCAR <laughs> for all you ladies and gentlemen. Uh, real fast, back to baseball uh, regarding the wild card race. Um, Boston is now only have a one and a half game lead on the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays are actually have the day off today, but Boston lost the first game of their doubleheader against the Orioles six to five this afternoon. Um, at this point, they are up four to three in the bottom of the second against the Orioles. But if Boston loses this game, they're going to have a one game lead against the Rays with eight games left in the season. Um, Tampa Bay does have to play a series here against the Yankees. They have three more games against the Yanks, and the Yanks hold, um, I believe, it is a five-and-a-half game lead in the Eastern and the AL East. Yes, it's a five-and-a-half game lead over Boston, so their magic number right now um, is five or four. It's right there. Um, again, still looking at the wild-card standings. Angels still in it to a degree, four-and-a-half game lead on the Rangers. So still can't count them out, but Texas really does look like they'll hold on for that. Um, Angels also a three-and-a-half wild card. Uh, They're back three-and-a-half in the wild card. So they still do have a chance as well at the wild card, but it really looks like it will be either Boston or Tampa Bay when it comes to that. Also looking the National League, the St. Louis Cardinals are only three-and-a-half back of the Braves. So the Cardinals playing great baseball, eight-and-two. Uh, in their last 10. And don't count out the San Francisco Giants either. Um, They're a hot baseball team as well. They've won eight straight, and they're only four back in the wild card as well. But looking ahead real quickly to the Tigers, they will have, they had the day off today, so they will not be playing their last day off of the regular uh, of the season. Uh, but Tuesday and Wednesday, they will have two games at Kansas City. Um, Penny will be f- facing Mendoza on Tuesday night, and Scherzer will take on Paulino on Wednesday. Um, looking ahead past that, Thursday through Sunday, we'll be at home to face the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Fister will get the start on Thursday, and then it'll go Porcello, Verlander on Saturday, and Penny on Sunday to round that out. And then just three games left, guys. Three games left at home against Cleveland starting next Monday. After that, playoff time. Friday night is going to be the first playoff game for the ALDS. So uh, we will see how that goes. But nine games left. It is almost over. 
And it's quite crazy to say that. It is. I remember us saying, oh, we still have a long time left in the season. And then now we're sitting here going nine games. Nine games. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, Cabrera, who has played great lately, he's raised his batting average up to 331. He's got a shot at winning the batting title. Again, Gonzalez is only at 334. Um, you know, Michael Young's at 331 as well, tied with Cabrera. But um, any of these guys could potentially win the batting title. Even Victor Martinez is sitting there in fourth, batting 324. So in your top four, you have two Tigers. Um, so either of them, all those four, have a chance at winning the batting title. Um, and, you know, you look at Cabrera. He's just played so phenomenally lately. He's, he's almost got his OPS to 9.9. It's at 9.97. He's almost got it over 1,000, um, just playing fantastic. So keep an eye on Cabrera because there are things that still matter. We might have clinched the division. We're going to the playoffs. That's a definite. But there's a lot of stuff that could, still could go on. JV on Saturday, we could have the best record in the AL. There's still a lot to play for. This doesn't mean it's over. Uh, real fast, I know I was told you guys we're going to talk a little boxing. Uh, I guess we will. Um, Floyd Mayweather uh, fought Victor Ortiz this Saturday in the welterweight title bout. And the fight was very, it was weird. I didn't see this fight necessarily, and you don't really get highlights from it because it's on pay-per-view, and I guess no one can watch fights anymore if they're on, they just don't even show highlights on regular, you know, any ESPN or anything. It's ridiculous. But uh, the fight ended in the fourth round. Mayweather knocking out uh, Victor Ortiz with 259 left in the fourth. Um, absolutely dominated him. Um, they touched gloves, and then it was a quick right, quick left. And before you know it, Ortiz is on the mat, and the referee called the fight. Um, some people thought it was a little bit of a dirty thing, um, but he won the fight. I personally don't think he did anything dirty. Um, from what I've heard, from what I've read, uh, Mayweather really did not do anything wrong regarding this fight. Mayweather now, who is 42-0, and has not not lost the fight um but again the better question is and i this is what i always want to bring up about boxing is that it blows these days um that you know you spend 50 dollars to get a pay-per-view fight that stinks that absolutely stinks um everyone wants to see mayweather pacquiao and that's why i'm not going to talk anymore about this fight because i'm not going to go to any more of these fights until we get mayweather pacquiao because that's what anyone wants to see even when mayweather fights someone 10 years younger than him it's still not good enough. I mean, it's still it's a bad fight. It's a quick fight. Um, just like when you saw Pacquiao fight recently, it's just not a good fight. Um, so hopefully they can get something worked out because this is what people want to see. They do not want to see Victor Ortiz, 10 years younger, who's not even close to as talented as Floyd Mayweather, even though Mayweather's 34, in a fight like that. And I'm so happy I didn't waste money at B-dubs. <laughs> I'm just happy. It would have been $5 cover. I know before, I remember my friend ordered the fight between Pacquiao and Ricky Hatton, and Ricky Hatton gets knocked out in the second round two years ago. 50 bucks for about four minutes of boxing. Fantastic. No, give me a real fight that'll go the distance. And talking about money, um, it sounds like uh, Floyd Mayweather has the chance to walk away with at least $40 million for this fight. Um, they still have not gotten together all the results for the profits from the pay-per-view event, but they are saying that he has a chance to make $40 million. On this fight, a little over overpaid. I wish I not. could make forty million. Forty uh, forty million for one fight. Why not? Why not? <laughs> so, you, so, so you would get into the ring no matter what and just say, hey, you know what, for a ton of money. Nah, I don't know. I would probably get knocked out in like five minutes. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, not a big okay. fighter. Yeah, because, I mean, that's the thing. You talk about money. You know, Mayweather, these guys love money. They're all about money. Uh, well, Manny Pacquiao does have a fight um, against uh, Juan Manuel Marquez, and uh, that will take place here uh, in November. Uh, so after that, then hopefully we maybe can see something in the works regarding some kind of, you know, something between Mayweather and Pacquiao, something. 
I just can't stand Mayweather really because he won't fight Pacquiao. And uh, you know, I know Pacquiao is you know he's on he's, you know he's already agreed to these Olympic drug tests. So I see there's no reason. I mean, you're talking about eighty millions possible, eighty million for both fighters. Hmm. I mean, this could be. This would be the biggest fight in a long time. Again, boxing has just completely fallen off the map in so many different ways. And these fights, to me, become more blurbs than actual real media and real news to discuss these days. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to the Spartan Sports Wrap uh, this Monday night. Uh, Don't forget, Monday Night Football, Rams versus the Giants. 8.30 is your kickoff on ESPN if you want to check that out. Bradford versus Manning should be a decent enough bout. But again, I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in tonight. And uh, definitely tune in next week. We've got a lot of lines for you. Spartans, trust me, Tigers, you know, playoff baseball, talking rotations. Trust me, we have a ton to discuss, so tune in definitely. Asian Invasion is coming up next. For everyone here at the Spartan Sports Wrap, my name is Dave. And I'm Megan. You guys have a great night out there. You've been listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Tune in every week for more of the greatest sports information, news, and analysis. Here and only here on Impact 89FM.